Hello and welcome to another episode of SBCC Vaquero Voices, a podcast highlighting the unique voices that comprise our campus culture and how we're all working together to serve our students and the community at large. As usual, I'm joined by co-host Akil Hill. What's good, y'all? And today we're honored to welcome Agatha Louie to the show. Welcome, Agatha. Welcome, Agatha. Thank you for having me, guys. So, so Agatha, you work in the financial aid office as a student program advisor. In terms of your day-to-day activities, what does that kind of entail? Oh, gee, every day is so different, huh? Uh, yeah, so you, we, my, path, not, my path to the financial aid is quite uh, different than probably normal uh, others. I have no experience with financial aid. So my day-to-day experience at first is that, you know, getting to know what, what, what students want and what students need. So I've been there for at least five years now. So what I usually do is uh, I help students with uh, financial aid FAFSA or the DREAM Act or the CCPG, which is the California Dream, uh, the California Promise Grant. And, you know, it's, it's really different daily, really depending on what student needs are because their needs is so vast, right? We are public institutions. So we range from students who are coming from high school to someone who is re-entering the workforce to someone who is still learning the path, howing, you know, having some goals they still want to meet. And they're at the age where, you know, they're ready to retire, but they still have a goal that they still want to do. And they want financial aid assistance. So we kind of meet with the students to see what the needs are. And then we go from there and, you know, to see what their really needs are. So we're really accustomed to the students' need. And yet at the same time, we have to follow the, you know, not only the state guideline, but, you know, the federal student aid guideline to assist those students that are in need. And we do have workshops available for them too, but really depending on what their needs are. Yeah, and we had um, Maureen on the show earlier you know a few episodes ago so we got kind of the overview of financial aid so it's nice to get that kind of granular singular approach in terms of what does it mean to be student-centered and focusing on students it really just means you have to be ready to go in eight different directions and cover all different aspects so many different aspects because like you said we're a public institution and students come to us from all walks of life and we have to be ready to kind of help them so it's it's good it's good to see that that kind of that that's how it plays out and that, that the folks are ready to meet the task. And that's kind of what you're kind of just built. You know this going in kind of that you that this is what it's going to be like. Exactly. I, I remember hearing your, uh, the broadcast with Maureen in there. And I think it's, you know, it's, it's where we are. We, we wouldn't be here if we don't want this job, right? Because we are, we're student-centered. And at the same time, been there, done that, having... Uh, kids have gone through colleges not knowing what financial aid is. That is probably more of the most driven part of my job is trying to help students who does not know who and how to navigate through the financial aid system because it's so complicated. And it, at times it could be very daunting knowing, you know, not knowing what to do and how to do it because most of the time they're first generation students even coming from high school, we have to start helping them to doing the, probably the roadmap as to what financial aid is, what aid is available, how they can obtain that, and whether, you know, what, what they have 
to offer us, it's also a learning curve for us also because every student student is so different. Like you said, you know, we, we have not knowing who is coming in that day and what we need, what the, what the needs are, and we have to be ready to assist them. Yeah. So it's, it's, uh, we're, we're grateful to have you. And it's, it's nice, you know, in terms of, I think of customer service kind of positions where you kind of have an idea of what people want coming in and you have that vague idea of they want financial aid, but in terms of the details of it, it's, it's just, yeah. So definitely is a lot to, to work through, but, but judging from the performance of the department, you, you all do a great job. So, so absolutely. Yeah. Especially in yeah. this uh, remote environment, right? We could try to figure it out how to assist students and, are we uh, moving fast enough? And you know, you, you know, this is this is a new environment for us. But we're getting in. We're taking students, you know, any way we could, right? With phone, email, fax, you know, and chat. We also have a Zoom virtual desk now, which we really hope the student utilize that tool that we can be talking to them just like in person and to assist them, even though remotely. Uh, we're able to share screen with them and try to assist them the best we could. And we find it, we have been very successful in doing all those areas, which is quite nice. Yeah. At, at the end of the day, there are still those documents to fill out. And I know I was helping Elsa get some documents on the <laughs> website a couple months ago. So yeah, it, it is one of those like first kind of wake up calls for folks as they transition adulthood, just how much paperwork and stuff like that plays in the process. So it's kind of like a, a first kind of salvo in that process of, filling out this paperwork, getting your information right, having uh, corroborating documents. I mean, it's it's a daunting process, but folks like Agatha are here to help. So if you're still mm. listening, definitely definitely get on that. Contact your department. Yeah, you know, and, and I'm thinking a little bit also as well um, how, you know, Agatha's job is so impactful because, you know, a lot of students after they graduate from high school, especially maybe first gen- generation uh, students or, um, or even students coming back, but you know, the financial aid piece is a huge piece of, of giving students the realization that there is support and hope for them to complete whatever they're attempting to complete in. And, um, and it's a, you know, I, I just uh, remember one of my good friends, his son is filling out the FAFSA. Uh, and, you know, he was just, he's just like lost, right? And so the piece of having all these tools that Agatha just spoke about, uh, different ways to communicate and reach people in financial aid, uh, in in financial aid department is super supportive and um but i think the fafsa and realizing that you can get funding straight out of high school to help assist you like to a lot of students that's that's a game changer and having people who are in positions that know how to assist the students i mean you've already heard her allude to each student's need is is different and then the federal guidelines and the state guidelines and being able to kind of work it. it's almost like a rubik's cube right and so you know um it's super it's impactful i think that's the first realization for a lot of students where they're like oh wait i gotta fill out a fafsa oh wait they're gonna give me money oh wait like it's the really outside the application process applying to sbcc it's the next most important thing i really believe that yeah you mentioned something about like fafsa right and most students are saying okay i'm gonna do the fafsa or dream max application okay mm-hmm. or the ccpg but they have that it's because of all those variations of application, they have no idea which one they should be filing. Mm-hmm. And then if they do file, now what? What's the next step? So, you know, I, I hope and wish that students 
you know, not only just contact us, but visit our website because our website has so many instructions, like right? we have some instructions how they, how they apply each application. What is that the application? Are they, is that application for them? And then all those things, you know, and w- with the workshop that we have, we always want the students to say, utilize those services. We're there for you. We are not in high school. Therefore, we can't really kind of like go to your classroom and drag you out and say, hey, you know, Akil, you have not done X, Y, Z yet. We can't do that anymore. What we do can do is we send students email once we receive the FAFSA, but sometimes they've been selected for verification. They have no idea what that is. Mm-hmm. But if they utilize our service, when they contact us, we get to look at their file, right? And then we get to see what they still need to. So we can talk to them and say, hey, Akil, you still have to do file verification. The Department of Ed has selected for verification. So this is what you need to do. Here are the steps how to review your unsatisfied requirement and then complete that. And if you didn't declare a major, the federal guideline is that you have to declare a major. And if you still need help, you still want to do all these things and you still don't comfortable, attend one of our workshops, just, just, just sit and listen or just, you know, and, and you, you're going to learn something or you're going to go away having one more piece of information that is a little bit more clearer. And that's all we want is the student contact us if there's any questions in doubt. And we'll, we'll assist them, you know, it's just sometimes it's a timeline that may not be instantaneously, but that's, that's okay. We're, we're there for them. So. Yeah, if, if this info gets out there, as long as folks aren't in that line the first couple of days of the semester, the financial aid office line like snakes all the way around out the building, like it's super long. Know that you can <laughs> make, pick up the phone, you can make a phone call, you can email, you can get on the online chat. There's many ways to reach folks. Try to avoid that line the first couple of days of the semester. You know, I mean, if you have to go, then there's no way to avoid it. But if you can avoid it, please take advantage of these other options available to you, those workshops and whatnot. That line is like a Holland Rays line. Pretty much. <laughs> like that's if you guys don't know about it, yeah. you look Google Holland Rays and you'll see how long people wait in line for that for the chicken. It's pretty much like that. That's pretty much what the financial aid line is like. And in both cases, it's worth it because you, you will get you will get help. You will be served. Yeah. So yeah, there are ways around that as well. But Hall, a kill. They don't have to do that. Mm-hmm. The application for FAFSA, DreamAct, all those applications started the year previously. So, mm-hmm. if, for example, the 21 22 application, it started in October 2020 already. So, mm-hmm. if they just apply early and be active in their files and search and to find the answer, I can promise them by the time school starts, that line, they shouldn't be on that line. They should be already ready to go and get the financial aid ready. And it's sad to say that even though the application started a year before, we have students who will not and or do not know how to fill the application until the mid of the semester or even a way after the semester has ended. Yeah. So, you know, that's, that's a hard lesson, but, you know, we always tell students, apply early. That's the word, Don't get early. Into that line. Yeah, that snake is not good to be at, but if you do <laughs> need help, uh, that's, the best, that's the best way. Uh, that's where you're going to be. But yeah. 
it's not a good feeling for us also, knowing that the students uh, are there waiting for us and we can't get them soon enough. Yeah. It's, good, it's good to know no matter what, you will be helped. So it's like, you will be helped no matter right. what, but there's ways you can mitigate those circumstances and make it a better situation for you. So that's kind of what, there's so many options, there's so many things you can take advantage of. Please do so and start early, but if not, no matter what, you will be helped. So exactly thank you for exactly. that agatha um besides your oh, no, besides your welcome. besides your experience of financial aid it is also may which is aapi plus heritage month so we also wanted to have you on the show agatha to kind of take with that into our what brought you to sbcc or your path to sbcc if you want to just talk about kind of um your heritage and, and your your experience growing up and how that kind of segued into you kind of coming and working here today wow do you have about a year <laughs> we'll, we'll do what we can we'll do the best we can <laughs> with, with one hour to go not much time <laughs> that's so broad, funny. the broad I, breaststrokes you know? <laughs> i came from a very interesting uh path born and raised in the south pacific island and it's called the solomon islands and was born in the island called Guarda Canal. If anyone heard about the Second World War, mm -hmm. the, you know, the invasion of Guadalcanal, they would find my hometown, the capital is Honera. Grew up there, spent about nine years in Hong Kong, went back to the island, lived a little bit in Australia, and I decided to come to uh, the state because I do have a long history of family members that is in Santa Barbara. And at that time, my sister, my sister was studying in the state here. So my mom thought, you know what? You're going to go to your sister because she has no one there. And I have a large uh, family. So I thought, I thought, okay, no big deal. You know, been there, done that to other countries. What's another, what's another country, right? So came here, fell in love with the culture and uh, having my other family members who are now, you know, established in to Santa Barbara, which I found it odd that were how they came about and how they became a resident of Santa Barbara, which is, you know, was, gosh, probably my great grandfather came here way before the Second World War with the railway uh, on the Northern uh, Canada and they kind of pushed their way down to uh, United States and eventually I never learned how they decided to station in Santa Barbara, but the now called, uh, used to call the Chinatown and Canapadillo Street. Mm -hmm. A lot of my family members has established business there, which is, I think I kill knows, like my, my uncles and aunts at Jimmy's Oriental Garden, oh. who had mm -hmm. been here for, gosh, who knows how long. And my, uh, you know, and my heritage has gone that far, you know, so. My parents born and raised in, in China. Somehow they got out of China because of the communists and they moved to Australia and then somehow uh, migrated to the Solomon Islands. And that's where I was born and raised. So there's a lot of different history. That's why I laugh, I joke, I said, do you have a year? Because it's just, there's so many components to my stories and my yeah. family history. It just, yeah. it is insane. Just try to figure it out the pieces, how it gets passed into who I am today. And it just, uh, it, it, it's very interesting. And then from, from there, I decided to stay in Santa Barbara and I got married and had two kids, 
had a restaurant on State Street. And with that, that downtown development came in. And then from there, I decided to say, you know what? It's either wait for the downtown redevelopment complete, go back into that restaurant mode. But at that time, I have a decision to make, right? Like two kids, it's a, is it is it is it good for me to be in such a busy and anyone who has a restaurant know that you're there twenty four seven pretty much family life is like on the side on the sideline right so so I didn't want to give up the chance of watching my kids grow, so I figured I'd say, you know what, go back to school so with uh you know with with, with that, my mother in law was watching the kids, all the kids were in school while I was going to school. And then as soon as they're done with school, I get to come back and spend time with them. So one thing leads to another. I did volunteering for the accounting department because I was a business major. And from that point on, I was hired to be a lab monitor. And from that point on, I did that for part about a good 12 years as an hourly worker until my kids has gone through college. And my last daughter was in a sophomore in college. Then I said to myself, I think it's my time to find a, a full-time job because I was quite antsy, you know, it's like, I want to do something, you know, and I don't want to do the part-time thing. I want to do the full-time thing. So I kind of looking around and I eventually found admissions and records. Shut up. I opened up a position. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's and where she met me. Was, yeah. <laughs> and then that's when my life forever changed because I had Agatha's cooking. We'll get into it on the food section, <laughs> but I just have to yeah, say that. In, in 2007, I got, I got into uh, admissions and records, and I was there for nine years. And then I said to myself, okay, I learned what I need. Now I want to do learn something else. And at that time, I was doing some projects with the financial aid director. And at that time, I was told that there's a position open. And I said, I don't think I can do that. And his question for me was, why can't you? And I said, I don't know. Maybe I could. He said, well, look at my website and then apply. And I did. And then there I was. So, was that in 2015? I've been there since 2015. So still loving it, you know, challenging at times, but loving what I'm doing. And the goal is, like I'll say, customer service student center, I think I was kind of like meant to be because, you know, if you, if I look at all the things I've done, all the years I've done, since I was six, I was running the business for my family, helping the family business. Just imagine a six-year-old in the cash register, you have to learn how to give out change. So I, I kind of learned customer service that age on. Mm-hmm. So I think it's meant something that I need to do continuously, anything with customer service. So just various Asians of customer service, right? Mm-hmm. What was the name of your restaurant on State Street? Well, it's called Bamboo Garden at first, and then it changed the name to go Bamboo Palace. And my husband's uh, family has also been in restaurant business since the before the Second World War. And his family's path is pretty much the same as my family path, my great-grandfather's path. They all in a railway workers got imported from China to here for that reason. And from that point on, uh, they all like in groups 
you're not in a community. Chinese is there in any Asian culture. We are so community-like that everything we do, it's pretty much like a family setting. So they get into business together with friends. They grew together and they, you know, share well together, they ate together. I think they work like 16 or more hours a day from what I remember my father-in-law told me and my my great-grandmother has told uh, some of my family members that the long hours they endure, it has to do with what? Family value and the fruit of the labor hopefully can translate to wealth. And that's what I was taught to do. And that's what I think it's engraved in me that work. So for the time that I didn't work going to school, but finding ways to work, whether it's volunteering or doing site jobs, that's something that it's like embedded in me that is engraved that I have to work. And this is what I need to do in order for to continue on learning and also wealth. I don't know. Uh, prove me wrong. I don't say rough work is always. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, <laughs> I can I can I can actually testify to that because you know I've worked with you know I worked with Agatha and Mission Records and man she used to she was a beast up in there man she was always grinding oh, you working you know it's true Agatha I'm not saying anything that's that's not true and you know it's true she would be she would always be like first one in last one leave it's that's what it was and you know that's that's the that's the absolute truth. And your story touched on so many things that I think a lot of listeners can relate to. I mean, your your parents were run were were, were moving moving to Australia due to internal you know strife in the country. You know, you you yeah. were, were were working long hours. You know, at a restaurant at a very young age, helping helping family out. You were running your own restaurant, working, and and it kind of speaks to the the idea of of today. You know, you you kind of have to figure out what you want to do when you grow up, and kind of you go to, you go to school, you do things that kind of build that way. But you're the classic example of why experiences matter so much because you weren't built for, you weren't put on a path to do something. You just knew that whatever had to be done, you would do it, you know, and, and, and the experiences that you accumulated throughout and, and the kind of mentalities that you've had to build to kind of handle all the things that have been thrust your way have just served you well. So you can do really anything that gets thrown at you. So it's one of those things where I feel like we're, we're really kind of moving away from that. I mean, with good reason, because there's a lot of trauma involved in kind of developing that kind of mm-hmm. mindset. You really have to build yourself to be really strong and really tough because I've seen it myself in my life in a smaller scale because yeah, my parents, I saw what my parents had to go through and I just like, that's what toughened me up to kind of go through the things that anything that, I, that came my way, but it's, it's, it's not an easy path, but it's something that we should reward more in terms of when, when folks apply for jobs and when folks interview for jobs and you look at a resume or you look at, how, you know, what they, their description of what they've done before. And it doesn't, it might not quote unquote apply, but if, but you, you should be able to look someone in the eyes, or just meet them and talk to them and know whether they can handle business or not, you know, to, to put it in a broad sense, can you handle business? Can you, can you get this done? And there's a lot of people that look good on paper, interview well, they can't get it done. So, so I feel like we should have more kind of an evaluation on that aspect where you look at someone and say, Oh yeah, Agatha, she, she'll, she'll handle business. She get it done. And just, yeah. and just and go on that. I mean, and, and it's, and it, and it's hard to do. It's hard to actually implement because you have to like, cause you have these already pieces in place. If they do this, then it's a point. If they do this, it's a five out of five, three out of five, four out of five, but actually flipping that and being like, 
just sizing somebody up and saying, Hey, can you do the job or not? I mean, there's no way to actually make it happen, but I wish that more folks would, you know, and I'm glad that the, whoever in financial aid told you to apply and, and just said, Hey, I know you can do it. And then it doesn't matter what you're, you know, what you may have done in the past or how much experience you have doing this. I know from what I've seen you do and what, what you've done in other departments, you can do this job. I mean, that's, that's just, that's awesome. You know? Yeah. So. Well, I appreciate um, so much of Agatha's stories. One is highlighting the AAPI plus experience in this country. And what I really liked about it, Agatha, um, is how you brought it to local, to the local level, meaning like the, the whole Chinatown down on kind of Perdido street, uh, my mother, if my mother's side of the family is from Santa Barbara, so I knew that. But there's a lot of people that don't understand that context where that whole area where there used to be like the, the Buddhist temple was down there. Um, all of that, people really need to hear and understand that there was um, and there still is a Asian presence in Santa Barbara. And, and so I really appreciate you for that and uh, for bringing that up on the show, because that's that's significant. People need to hear about these type of things um, in our community. Yeah, I appreciate you guys bringing me on. It's because, you know, I, you know, Q knows me, right? I could be loud, but at the same time with an Asian <laughs> and, uh, and having that strict respect, you must respect, uh, whether it's authority or the seniority or what have you, it's kind of ingrained in us where you just, you just work. You don't, you don't talk much. You just work. Yeah, And I find that the environment that we're in currently, I wish we would, we were taught to be more outspoken because I've seen the environment has slowly changing who I am and what I've been taught to do. But at the same time, it's not happening fast enough mm. where we have always been so kind of quiet side. We do our job. We don't bother anyone. We just do it because that's what we were good at. Or that's what we were told that's what we should do. But with the current environment, I wish I was taught being a little bit more outspoken and tougher in that area, being outspoken. And that, and that, con that part of the context has definitely shifted because I know I was taught the same way. But because, I mean, if you, from my parents' perspective, speaking out, doing these things, what does it get you? You literally die. You know, like you don't you don't speak out to soldiers who are saying we're going to take your house because we don't want Chinese people here anymore. You know, like you're going to die. So so the context has shifted. We're here. I mean, here in America, there, there's there are a lot of problems. So there's a lot to be grateful for where we have that ability to speak out. And it's it's been a slow adjustment because of, of the, the consequences are so harsh. But even going back to earlier generations, Chinese exclusion, you know, the, the people getting ferried out for for railroad work were coming because there wasn't a lot of work in, in, in the home country. So you don't want to lose that job and get sent back and you don't have any yeah. money and now you've gone and come back. So, so the, the consequences were so dire before and, and, and folks here today, I mean, it's still a very serious thing, but, but the consequences have loosened a bit where we have that extra wiggle room to speak out. And, and, and we're seeing more, more young folks speak out in that respect. Cause yeah, I'm the same, I'm the same as you, Agatha. I was raised, to work hard, put your head down and build generational wealth for your family. That's all that matters. doesn't matter who your friends yeah. are. It doesn't matter what you're doing. If the check clears and your family gets the money, then you, then you put your head down and you keep doing it. So it, it's, it's taken a lot for me to kind of get out of there too, because the other side of that, I was raised to be terrified by the other side of that. If I got fired for speaking out, if I got fired for anything that wasn't a life or death situation, 
because taking care of the family is the life or death situation. You know, it's, it's preserving that lineage, that heritage and, and, and for the future generation. So it's, it's one of those things where it's, it's, it's one of those things that I'm glad I'm here in America that I, I have more opportunities, but it's also makes me think back at the reason for that people. I mean, you call it, people call it passivity. People call it being meek, but it's like, you have to contextualize the trauma and, and the consequences that, I mean, that, I mean, there were straight gangster stuff out there. People, we were semi-auto, semi-automatic weapons trying to, you know, like, like it, it's no joke, like what people were coming it, from. It so is it's, no joke. Yeah. It is no joke. And I also, think a lot of, oh, a lot ahead. of times, sorry, sorry, Hal. No, no. A lot of times, a lot of, a lot of people who don't know that we are suffering silently, we're in a country where it's kind of, it's pretty much foreign to us. It doesn't matter if I'm considering myself as Chinese American or Asian American, but when you're not being accepted, simply just going to a grocery store, coming out to the grocery store, having almost bumped into another cart with someone, and that someone who call you out and say, if you cannot drive a shopping cart, you should go back to your own country. And you ask yourself, I am in my country, but yet I inside my heart, I know what they're talking about. Mm. And I think when I did got that confront by someone who told me that, I think that was my first time to even was able to even speak out for myself. And when I was speaking out, I don't know what I did. I just asked him to look up the history book to find out where he came from. And maybe he should re-educate himself to classify himself as American. And I did tell him, I said, the real American that is truly American, which is the American India. So I said, we all are immigrant here. So how mm. dare you put me in that limelight? And it, it's not because I didn't say I'm sorry, but it's what he said to me that kind of like, should I continue to just shy away from that conversation? Or should I just let him know that you're not? And most of the time they don't think I speak English. So when they talk back to me or the way they treat me, uh, not having the service, Mm -hmm. it's because they don't think I speak that language and they either make me wait or they treat me a little bit differently. So it just, it, it's, it's kind of harding, but I teach my kids that I say, you know what, you know what's the wrong and the right, you have to speak out. So my kids do speak out now these days if there's something, but I, I, I don't know what to tell you, Hong. It's just that uh, I'm grateful, but hearing the story from my father-in-law is even heartbreaking because like you said, right, the Japanese has been uh, removed from their homes and putting in the camp. And at that time, the Chinese were asked to wear badges to differentiate between are you Japanese or are they Chinese? And for us, is that we also come in the same community. Why do we have to? Do, why do you have to call me out who I am and why does it make any difference? And at that time, my father-in-law didn't work because he was working so hard at the restaurant, but just following those rules. It's almost like we follow the rules. We listen. We do what we're asked to do. But then years later, learning what happened, it's just, if that's something that I remember him telling my kids, his experience in United States and how his first job in United States, 
after the railway is earning him five cents an hour and where's he at today it's just unbelievable yeah and that yeah go ahead Akil. no what i what i hear in a lot of that is you know and we've talked about it you know previously on the show with different guests um just you know Mm -hmm. just the past trauma of of experiencing you know racism um sexism but what what one thing that really stood out to me is the perpetual foreigner, right? So you know that label that are that slapped on uh, people from Asian descent is like always like where are you from? And like they could never be from America. And and you know that's so ignorant and so unfortunate in so many ways where people just kind of perpetually think that you're not from um, America. And and I experienced that um, you know over and over again um you know i'm just you know my daughter's you know biracial she's half asian and um you know just with different life experiences where people just don't think that you're american that you're from here so where are you from i've heard that multiple times it's unfortunate oh it's better if they ask you where you're from akil they usually Mm. ask me what are you yeah, that that's true too. I usually yeah. get. Yeah. What are yeah. you? And I just, I, I mean, at first I'm just like, I'm human. What yeah, do right. you think? You know? Yeah. So it's that, it's, you know, because maybe I have an accent. I don't know. I, I, at first I didn't know where they're coming from. It's the, it's the way they ask and say, what are you? And I'm just like, uh, human. Yeah. You're like happy. You're like happy most of the time. <laughs> until, <laughs> until I you met you, until, until, until you pissed talk, me off. <laughs> yeah, until I talked to you about this nonsense. Yeah, absolutely. But that extra context you provide is important, Agatha, because yes, yeah, so while I while I highlight how far we've come and the ability we have to speak now, the context you provide of what Asian folks in America went through, even just 50, 60 years ago, not too long ago in history, in terms of and and where we are today, I mean, a, a serious debt of gratitude to the folks that put in that work, even if they weren't being explicitly, you know, advocating for this and that, just living in that environment and persevering and saying, I, I'm going to do this no matter what, and just getting through it and getting that, you know, handling business, getting that work done speaks for, you know, speaks volumes because they stayed, they built that generational kind of wealth for, for their, you know, followers, you know, following generations to stay as well. And to kind of carve out that history. And, and, and for folks who don't know, who weren't here when Jimmy's was open, Jimmy's is a landmark restaurant in Santa Barbara. I was here for the last couple of years before it closed. And that bar, I mean, I could feel the history on that bar top. Yeah. And, you know, like eating the food there, you could, just, you could just feel it. I mean, it, just, it was just a great place. It felt good to be inside that restaurant. And I'm glad I got to eat there before it closed. And I wish it would have stayed open. The pickle room is in, in Jimmy's place now. It's fine. Okay. It's, 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 it's nothing wrong with that. Go have a drink. But it's not Jimmy's. It's not the bar at Jimmy's. It's not the lunch specials at Jimmy's. So, and and um, I didn't get to eat at your restaurant, Agatha, but I wish I, I wish I had. So, but yeah, so just seeing that history in that context is important. I mean, it, it, everything matters now. These conversations, yeah. Because in the past, what would they do when they have those conversations? Agatha? Oh, I'm just kidding. Oh, just words. Lighten up, you know, or some of that. And it's like, no, no, no. The, 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 we're, we're past that now. This is, you know, like it, it, we have to we have to go beyond that. We have to be better than that. Right. I, I think I think I think it's it's you you you're absolutely right. History taught us something, right? We've been there. We know what happened. Moving forward, could we please learn something from history, and then better ourselves, the community, the nation, the world, 
You know, it's just, why do we have to repeat history or why, why do we have to label someone? It's just not only not sensitive, but not knowing or not learning that culture and, and assume what that culture is like, assuming what, who that person is. It's, it, it, you know, you're not helping yourself grow. I always said, life is such a learning process when you stop listening and when you, you will stop learning. And, you know, it, 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 it's not that hard to listen and it's not that difficult to learn uh, uh, and get, you know, get along or what have you. And if you like Chinese food, you know, find out what Chinese food is all about or find out what Japanese food is about, you know, find out who, who I am rather than say, what are you? You know, that shouldn't matter. But, uh, you know, uh, unfortunately we still have, the climate has, you know, right, you know, things are changing, but the races still exist in different format, in different ways, you know, whether it's in a workforce or in our society, unfortunately it's still there and it's just you not okay. It's still not okay. And people are quick to say this, you know, young folks are too sensitive. Young folks are too this, young folks do that. Young folks have had to deal with their parents' trauma of repressing stuff like this. So it's one of those things where they've heard the stories from their parents that, that the parents couldn't tell anyone else. And they've had to internalize that. And they've decided yeah. that they're going to speak out and they're going to be more vocal about it. And, and you know what? That can't, that cancel culture stuff, putting people on blast on social media to a certain extent, it works. Because a lot of these people who are all these closet racists and stuff that they like working in the shadow, they don't like being called out. So it's the perfect kind of antidote to folks who are, who who want to sit here and act and act crazy in, in, in like to to individuals to get put on blast, you know, in front of everyone on the internet. I mean, it, it's working to a certain extent. So I, I'm I'm here to advocate for those young folks who are speaking their mind and and, and telling them how it is. I mean, if that if you feel it's right, I mean, you do you, man. That, that I mean, you, you you definitely deserve that platform because. You're, in a lot of ways, you're just you're just advocating for the things that your parents couldn't advocate for because they were putting their heads down and trying to grind it out and get the work done because they're trying to build generational wealth because capitalism is holding them down. <laughs> Man, it's rough okay. out there. And, and, and we live in a very beautiful uh, city and a beautiful SBCC campus. So what I want to express is that I value the hierarchy but at the same time, like I was taught, value the administrator, some seniority. But at the same time, what I know now, I do hope and wish and, and hope that the administrator hierarchy will see what they should do when a staff member experiencing some hardship or a bad experience, they need to hold those people accountable for. They should be the example of what we are learning because we're education. In an institution with education, there should have no room for anything else but working in a harmony as a group together. And with the, with the, if, with the environment and the atmosphere we are at at SBCC, a beautiful SBCC, with everything's going on, I hope we'll look into things that they should be held accountable for and be more serious at when somebody bring a subject to the matter and not going to do deeper of history, but they should be acknowledging that people are suffering when they are not holding those people accountable for. Absolutely. I'm sorry about that. Huh? And I'm killed. Oh, speak it. Yeah. Shoot. 
I'm over here like yeah I, I I I respect hierarchy I respect my elders but I was also taught from a very young age that you know you always be held accountable for your actions so respect and, and, right. and those aspects are very important yeah, so in a family environment or in the society environment, right, if you, if you violate certain law, what do you do? You know, you hold accountable that person for it. Same as at home. If I messed up, guess what my parents will do? Well, there's also accountability what I have to do. So I always say in the education field, what are we doing? You need to be also accountable for it. It doesn't matter what environment you're in. Accountability is what we need to focus on. Absolutely. A- absolutely. And, and that's a, a good segue into our, uh, our, our good eating section because with, Yay. With nothing like, nothing like food to hold, to hold, a, <laughs> hold accountable, you know, <laughs> pe- people and places. Absolutely. All right. You know, yeah. So are we going to do the, the wonton deep dive now or how do we <laughs> do this? <laughs> I say, hey, I, I, I said we go. Why? You don't know why? Yeah, I don't know why. <laughs> Man, listen, for all you listeners out here, if you ever have the opportunity to try Agatha's wontons, you you just have to do it. I would eat I would even suggest emailing her. Agatha will <laughs> oh Han, Stop it. Han, no, Han, no Han, emails, please. Han, Han, <laughs> And you people out there, listeners out there, y'all need to go ahead and email her and find out when's the next financial aid potluck. Uh, <laughs> so you can slide through and try the wontons. I mean, first of all, not just the wontons. And uh, she, like Agatha already alluded to, she had a restaurant. She, she's a chef. Anything she would bring into the office, her, you know, she would make cheesecake. That was good. She would make spring rolls that were good. Anything she would make in the office it is literally like, what am I eating? This is not your average like store bought, uh, mixed together, put in the oven. I'm gonna bring this to the potluck type of thing. This is like, hey, this should be at the Biltmore on a Sunday brunch <laughs> type thing. So, Stop it. you know, it is like the. It, I got many people that can testify to it. You can ask Michael Medell. He's another one that will literally like cut your right thumb off for, to, to get it to get some uh, Agatha's wontons. <laughs> the sweet and let me tell you how this. She makes the sweet and size sweet and sour sauce from scratch. So, I'm gonna just leave it there. I'm just saying that's. <laughs> When I was like, let's get Agathon, I'm like, I'm so excited to talk about her, uh, her, her cooking and her food. So I'm just going to leave it there. Email Agatha, uh, Louis at sbc.pipeline.edu. <laughs> Agatha, Agatha, are you sure? I think it's more kill. <laughs> well, fortunately. I, I know who I'm going to call the next time if I have a food car. A food truck <laughs> with the one time on there and just like. Contact I yeah. kill Hill. He would be. He can be the spokesperson for Agatha. I am the official hype, Wontong you. hype guy. I'm official. I'm, that's my official title, dude. Yeah, I'm not going to put Agatha's email in the show notes. And and fortunately, the 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 way folks can spell Chinese last names multiple ways will keep you uh, pretty anonymous because you know they, they was it L O U I E L U I L so you'll have some anonymity yep. there. But I am curious about the wontons. What filling are we talking about? What kind of wrapper are we using? Are we deep frying them? Are we? I mean, what 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 am I dealing with here? I need I need some I need to visualize a little more. <laughs> don't give out okay, don't give away no. all the secrets. Don't no, no, give away no. all the secrets. I can no do. secret spices, nothing like that. I need okay. just to, you know. 
Okay, my publisher said uh, I can't give you. No, how many? Akil, you've been too kind. Um, never, never in my life that I was when I was growing up that knowing that my mom would never let me go into the kitchen to then cooking for Akil. So, so <laughs> that's 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 the real story where I was never allowed to be in the kitchen because I was a middle child. I was just like in Chinese saying, means, you know, means that I'm in a way most of the time. So, so, you know, and just never learned how to cook until we had the restaurant uh, more focused on the Cantonese food that uh, I killed. I was not a chef. I was just a shoe chef, which means I run errands and do everything else whoever wants to do at the on the back of the kitchen. So but thank you for promoting my my title. But anyway, <laughs> but <laughs> by having that, you know, I'm just like learning how the chefs cook and I'm just like, oh, I'll just I can tweak a little bit differently because I like certain things differently. So I just came about in one time it's just like, what's the big deal? I can put chicken in there, I can put pork, whatever that I want that day, right? So so what I kill eats is that it can vary depending on what my mood is that day to make that one time. And it's deep fried. Uh, it's a little bit different than the one in the restaurant is because I just put a little bit more ingredients in there. So, and you know, some, some black mushroom, maybe some shrimp, maybe, you know, it really depends what I, what I want that day. So it, it's, it's something that I'm so, it's so easy to do. And it's so therapeutic when I'm cooking. And I can't get to just eat some some of those dishes where I just say it's quick to fix. And, yeah. Uh, but but there's but there's a lot of uh, other items that you know I wish I can cook at the and bring it to those potlucks. But you know, lots of time I prefer fresh rather than like hour too old. I can't put probably contest too. I'm very picky about freshness. Super. <laughs> And but let's not good. minimize. Yeah, you can't minimize the role of a sous chef in a Chinese restaurant because my, my dad was a cook, you know, in a restaurant for many years. And the the, the folks at the, the prep folks, the sous chef folks, they do most of the work. They're the ones chopping everything down to a certain consistency, you know, grinding up meat, doing all this stuff. The the cook have the time. I mean, they're, they're doing a lot of work because their shoulders and wrists are, are throwing walks the whole time. But it's just throwing a bunch of stuff, <laughs> adding some oil and just tossing it, you know. So it's so the, the prep, the prep is like 80 percent of the way there. Once you've done the prep, like, like you know, dumplings and, and spring rolls and things of that sort are just family kind of gatherings. Like when you get a, a, a lot of people together, you'll make those kind of things. So I've seen how it breaks down. And once you get the prep done, then you're just sitting there shooting the breeze, you know, making making your thing. But like that prep is that's no joke. So you got to. Yeah, you definitely. I think you, I think that 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 qualifies for chef status in the Chinese Chinese kitchen. Too. <laughs> no, I'm telling you. It's, it's more like home cook. You know, you can never go wrong. It just depends what your mood is that day, what you want to cook. And, you know, I have so happened that Chinese food is something I love to cook, but, you know, I have not, uh, I have branched into other cultural food, like Italian and Mexican and, you know, good old American prime rib. That's something that I love to cook is prime rib, how to age it and how to cook it. Yeah, you know, so it's, it's something I love doing. Something Listen, that won't talk back to me, huh? Okay. <laughs> Listen, I'm gonna I'm gonna also put the the listeners on on notice too. Agatha also makes the the most amazing cranberry sauce, y'all. 
one year for Thanksgiving, she had brought in some um, cranberry sauce. Agatha, you know what I'm talking about. That cranberry sauce, man. I forgot. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't. Like I said, like, you know, it was slap your mama good. But no, you know, it was that good. See, I wish we can be in person now so we can do our little cooking class. Yeah, we should. <laughs> we should do something. We should do something once we're able to kind of return back. And, you know, I'm just letting you know, I'm vaccinated for six months, I guess the shots for, so if you're vaccinated, <laughs> listen, my, my door is always open. And there's definitely room to yes. have those kind of events on campus, you know, in terms of folks that are vaccinated, folks that feel like it's safe to have those kind of get together in person moments. Cause it has been, it has been a little while for everyone. You know, it's, uh, it's been over, over a year. Yeah. So it has so, so there's definitely room to do things safely as we transition back to campus. I mean, and, and we'll figure those things out as we go. But I mean, the, the, you know, building that community is still still an integral part of, of this campus and of, of, of the of Santa Barbara, you know, on the whole. So. Yeah, you know what they always say, even life is tough, but food will never, uh, will never, never lie to you. You just, you know, comfort. That's why they always say comfort. Food is always the comfort zone. And I do agree with that 100%. With all the uncertainty we have, but we have one thing to rely on, food. Yeah. Yeah. So do you have, you have, any, you have any specific cue or should we just riff on this some more? Because I, I mean, this was kind of going into what my pick was as well. I was going to do like spring roll or something like that just to highlight the communal aspect, the family aspect of food. But uh, oh my yeah. Because that's, spring I mean, that's really, like... most of our family gatherings are built around that. We would, we would get together and we'd either make, you know, egg rolls, spring rolls, we'd make dumplings, we'd make, there's this steamed rice flour cake where you put, it's a, like mostly, it, it ends up being like kind of jelly consistency, but you put like pork and wood ear and shrimp on the top and then you eat that with a vinegar sauce. So it's always this communal thing where this big dish comes out and then you eat it at the end of it. That was a lot of our family gathering. It's probably family gathering for most folks. So it's just one of those things where, you know, it's, it, it, when Nikhil mentioned wontons, I was like, oh yeah, we, I definitely made wontons tons of times growing up maybe a ton of spring rolls and i can see where that's kind of where you honed your craft probably is is well i didn't before i knew you had a restaurant where now it's easy to see where you honed your craft but it was just one of those things where yeah yeah always always involved around food you know and like you said when the family gathering we always do something like dumpling is like the go-to it's like uh uh and then we always make like cinder and we always make the the zhong uh, uh -huh. Like a Chinese a tamale. Oh yeah, Chinese with rice. Yeah, and it's nice that and... the, the Cantonese dishes of my youth are are actually you know like we wrap jong every year for Chinese New Year you know and 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 my mom does it more like Vietnamese style with like the like a piece of meat in the middle and some you know like the various but it's 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 Vietnamese style that Chinese people in Vietnam are making it that way where sometimes it's a different shape but yeah jong is is a, is a classic. We do the cognac, which is like the braised pork belly. So yeah, there's just oh, we do too. It's mm -hmm. it's 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 like the best, but it's the most difficult to make. It takes I don't know about your parents. It's like I remember just waiting for that to be cooked in was it five hours or six hours? Yep. It's just crazy. And it's it's one of my favorite dishes, but it's always the one where my mom had to slap my hand because like you're already fat. Don't eat too much pork belly, son. Because because like. <laughs> Cause, but she know that's why she'd make it partly because you know I'm the youngest son like you know growing boy so she would definitely pull it out but the thing is yeah what happens is you first you have to like kind of fry the pork sear the edges so to speak so yep. so me as a as a young you know th this American kid like 
wait, why do you keep cooking it after this? This is basically bacon. Just slice it thin and make bacon. So she would sometimes take chunks of it and put some aside and make bacon with it where she would fry it further and crisp it up. But then the rest of it would go in the braise. And that's like, you know, like you said, five or six hours until it's just like just fall apart. And the, you can spoon that sauce all over the rice. Oh, yeah. Cognac, cognac and the jong are the are two big ones. We also, for Chinese New Year, you know, the dried oysters and, and all the, with the pigs, the pork knuckle, the chukyak. And the, yeah, so yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. See, I kill you never taste that because it takes so much work. You and, think fry one time is a lot of work. The jong is like intense. Just watching my mom has to soak the, the, the bamboo leaves for days or even a week on end just to make sure it's all clean. And then the prep behind all the fillings. And then on top of that, we have to wait for another five, six hours once it's all wrapped up. But just like, okay, once a year is enough. Can't do too many of those. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. My, my aunt used to make a, you know, soy milk, you know, the fresh soy milk. Whereas like you could first you get the the tofu tofu fa where you get the curd on top with the yeah. sweet and then yeah. but then you get the soy milk after that and it doesn't the soy milk that people drink it tastes kind of like milk but when you get soy milk that actually tastes like soy milk like exactly what it's supposed to be with oh man where it's like thick and nicely sweetened oh yeah oh gosh I wish I know how to make those but that's a long process too yeah it's all these long processes yeah that didn't that didn't get passed down to me because I've got none of that to go like I want to be able to make these things my mom's like. My fine. She just didn't want to go through the trouble of teaching me because you know, like she knows, she knows I'm too far totally. gone. Well, it no, did totally get passed down to you. <laughs> oh yeah, it, it kind of right. He knows how to eat. It, you know? he, he knows, knows how, how to, to eat. It. He knows yeah. how to eat. That, so it did get passed down. If he knows what he likes, he knows how to eat. Absolutely, it did get passed ask my, down. Ask kids. Ask my kids. Yes. They all know how to eat one time. But when yep. it comes to making all those things, they say. Mom, when are you going to teach us? And I said, uh, like, like, like Hans' mom said, Ma Fan, you don't have yeah, to teach them. Yeah, Ma Fan, And I would usually tell my, my daughters, Christina and Nicole, I say, when I make them, you either stand next to me, either videotape it or write it down. And, and I swear, whenever I do that, I say, okay, I'm making it now. You think they're going to say that? Because it's just, it's so, and they look at me and they say, mom, that's so much work. And I'm just like, but it's the reward after that. And, and, they, and they appreciate the work. You know, they do. Cause that's the one thing I, I'll never learn how to make it, but I do appreciate it when I see it on the, on the plate for sure. <laughs> I'm going to have to get yeah, on Nicole. Sure. I, uh, I'm going to have to get on Nicole. Nicole uh, Agatha's daughter works at Santa Barbara city college. I'm going to be like, I'm going to have to get on her, man. I'm like, look, man, you gotta, you gotta learn. If you don't do anything in 2021, dude, learn how to make wontons, dude. We got to keep the tradition alive, dude. We got to keep it alive, man. I'm a tester. So, Akil, I'm a good tester. When my mom cooks, I'll let her know if she missed something or not. <laughs> yeah, see, that, well, look, call, that's... They'll call me up on the phone, right? They'll call me on the phone. They said, Mom, how do you make... I'm trying to make some uh, broccoli beef. How do you do it? And I'm just like, okay Feel, taste, chemistry. It's like 
it's an art, man. It's it literally is an art. Yeah, because even when you get recipes that are like tablespoon and a half, teaspoon, sometimes it doesn't taste right because it, that's not exactly the amount they used. It was like like three pinches like that, and they sort of like pinch that into a spoon and, and they quantify it. So yeah, a lot of times it just just it's all a lot of it is feel. You're right. Yeah. Yep. So, so. And depending on how big the garlic is too. So if they say one or two garlic, I say no, 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 <laughs> a little yeah. bit more. A little bit yeah. less this time, you know. So yeah, yeah it's it. but it's so much fun though. It's you know get get uh, you know especially when I get to cook for my family members. I I kill those, you know. Thanksgiving yep. or Christmas is like thirty plus people in my house, you know, and uh, it's just it's just a fun time. Just get together, and that's why, like I said from the beginning, I said we're such a family atmosphere, such a community that we always find ways. Yeah, it's just that's what we're taught to do, and that's what we've always been, right? You know how the good old days you usually live with your grandmother and your mother, and all, you know, all you can remember. I remember those days, you know. That's that's just that kind of mentality. Nice, yeah. So that's nice. perfect segue into a higher learning, Akil. You think? Yeah. You want me to go you first, want? or you have to go there? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We can talk about food forever. I know, but but yeah, we. We 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 gotta we gotta drop some knowledge on the on the people too be beyond beyond the gastronomical interests. Um, yeah, Akil, why don't you why don't you kick us off? So uh, my choice for the week um, um, is in light of I mean it's Ramadan right now, so um, you know a lot of people are, are fasting, self included. So I've been really uh, kind of focused on a book. Um, it's called Purification of the Heart, and it's actually translated by. Um, a man by the name of Hamza Youssef. Uh, he's an, um, uh, a big time scholar here in the America, but he translates the book from the original uh, author as, is uh, Imam Maloud's um, book. And uh, it's called Matar of Kaloub. That's the Arabic word uh, for it, but it translates into purification of the heart. And it really focuses on um, the different ailments of the heart, right? And, and, and it gives you, it talks about the ailment um, it talks about what the cure is for the element, like, like, like greed, envy, uh, uh, hate, uh, miserliness. It talks about all the different diseases of the heart and what do you need to do from, you know, the Islamic perspective to try to rid yourself of that. It's a really, really, really good book. I would highly re- uh, recommend uh, this book. And it's one of my favorite books that I've, I've read um, and so I'm revisiting it and I try to revisit it during the month of Ramadan so it can actually help me reset so and get balanced. So that's my pick for the week. It's kind of funny how we're talking about um, food right now and how it's, um, you know, how it's comforting and stuff like that. And so this is for me, it's kind of like it's like that spiritual so food um, it's a uh, book. So that's my uh, pick for the week. Purification of the Heart by Hamza Youssef. Um, I'm sure you can find it on Amazon. Um, it's, I, it's, I can't remember. You just have to read it. It's a really, really, um, really good book. Without going too in depth into the kind of solutions, is, is it more kind of changing how you act or changing how your, your mindset going into things or is it, I mean, yeah, I mean like, the, you know, I think the book does a really good job at pointing out like, you know, in a lot of ways that, you know, the spiritual heart is just like any other muscle in your body where, you have to work on it. Right. And so, you know, it's always amazes me how um, we live in this, this age of where people are just infatuated with working out and, 
you know, they'll work, they'll spend days on end just like for a tiny muscle on the back of their tricep, right? But but what are we doing or how are we implementing our spiritual exercises, right? We don't talk about that. We just are so occupied with the, with the external, right? And so, um, um, and so this book does a good job at recognizing your heart is, your spiritual heart's like a muscle. So you have to train that too as well. And it talks about like certain, without going too much into it, but it does give you the ailments and the, and the cure for it. So whatever you made qualities that you made find in yourself that you like, you know what, I really need to work on that. Like if I talk bad about other people, or if I'm backbiting, how do I, I would love to stop that. How I would stop, how, do, how should I go about stopping that? And the book talks about that. It talks about different things, but it gives you calisthenics, I guess is what I, the best word for it. It gives you calisthenics on how to addressing those uh ailments you know so it's great i'm not gonna i don't want to uh tell you guys too much about it because it's really one of those things that you have to really experience on your own so that's that's my pick for the week um and so i'm really enjoying it you have to send me that book title Kel. yeah i'll send it to you yeah. and i think han will put it in the show yeah. notes as well but it's um it's yeah. a really good it's, a, it's a, such a good book it's you know and I think, truth be told, that's that's where when we talk about these issues of injustices, um, uh, racism, uh, sexism, all the, the things, the ailments that we have, it literally comes down to the heart. That's where it's at. And, and, and that's the piece that a lot of people really choose not to uh, address in it. It's, it is something in an individual's heart that's turning uh, that is allowing them to to spew or uh, this hatred um or this racism, or these these type of uh, hateful speech, it's it all re- it can be reduced down to the heart. So yeah, definitely definitely speaks to a lack of uh, of cultivation, or you know, like yeah, you're you're not working on that on that part of yourself. You know, you yeah. can work on all different aspects, but without balance, you don't you know you will always lash out in, in unbalanced ways. You know, just by definition. Yeah, the chi. They don't. They they mm-hmm. need to get into the in the chi. You know, so it's yeah. Like, you know, I, that's my my I, middle name. <laughs> oh, is it? Yeah, my middle name is chi. And and oh, that's cool. And, I, and the reason I asked you about the how they solutions because you know with the Chinese food is a lot of like hot and cold foods. Yet he lang he. So I was wondering if that yeah. was like an if it was like an Ayurvedic thing. But it sounds like it is more just like a yeah, just a spiritual. Just keep getting your mind right, getting your heart right, and then your body will follow kind of thing, which is which is always good advice. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. I mean, that's the piece, you know, like we said, you know, like just being able to tap into that and be present, you know what I mean? Um, and, and everything that in our, not everything, but a lot of our, our culture and our society is, is, is the job is to distract you from it. Right. And so that's why we were, you know, habitually finding ourselves in states of, of, of how is this still occurring? Well, we know why it's still occurring. It's because we haven't really ad- addressed the real issue, right? So, so much uh, uh, things are, you know, out here to distract us from actually doing this self work. Yeah. Um, and and so, uh, but yeah, that's my choice. That's what. Uh, hopefully, you guys can check it out. Hopefully, you can be uh, well pleased with it because it's it's really good. Yeah, society built on efficiency, faking it till you make it. You know, just plowing forward, keep working, doing this, 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 and this be present and be patient is the exact opposite of what people yeah. are being told that you need to be successful. 
but it's what you need to be successful with your own self, with your third eye, with your, you know, with the true spirit of yourself. So it's like, yeah. Yeah. Consumer culture, continue to buy, continue to shop, keeping up with the Joneses, um, all these type of things all prevent you from really getting to the core because the nature of it all is to continue. The more you get, the more you want and the further away from you really are. Some of the richest people I've ever met um, in my life were in West Africa and um, they didn't have, I'll tell you, I'll tell you much. Like they didn't have, like they would be by our standard, they would be like in the the thresholds of of what we, what we would consider uh, poverty. Like didn't really own much, didn't have anything. People slept outside in tents. But these people um, that I met were just the richest people I've ever experienced. Completely present, completely in in the moment. And there's something to be said about the more you acquire, the further away um, you get from from that that type of work. But um, that's just, you know, that's just my 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 outlook out on it. So what do you guys who's Who's up next? Agatha, you want to go? You want me to go? It's so interesting what you just said. It's just it, the, the, the word richness, right, can be defined in so many different levels by so many different, depending on who you ask, right? But yet we are happy and we are satisfied with what, 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 what we are. But that doesn't mean that we don't work hard. But it's just that you so little to acquire happiness or the word richness, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I feel it's more, but I'm, I'm more like, because my mom is getting older, so I just like, I do a uh, Skype with my mom, and, and in a Skype with my mom is that I understand that about uh, just being Chinese, uh, and most importantly, because she's very much into, you know, she and Fongsa, uh, uh, you know, all those herb stuff, right? So for me, I think as, as I grow older, I'm just like, I need to know that things because even though I'm always interested, but to learn more about it, books and stuff, I say, what better yet? Because mom has all those resources. I need to tap into her resource before she, you know, I don't even remember them anymore. The work had happened. Like my grandmother should have asked her those things when they were uh, alive, knowing every single part of body and what kind of herbs that you should take to get towards that and also focus on your body knowing you knowing your body so having that type of observation on your own self then you kind of knowing what herbs to take so i was more interested in that recently it's like you know calling my mom and say okay what happens if you know if my grandchild was teething, what do you guys used to do as, mm. uh, as for herbal-wise, for the, that level, right? It's just like, I want to use more natural things. What did you do when you had us? You know, and what did you do when, you know, Papa did, you know, what Ama did, you know? So all those things, all this history. So what I've been doing is just writing them down, you know, mm. so that my kids eventually can kind of, you know, one day they probably be interested. They can go back to their... And knowing that, you know, oh, if you have a slight, you know, sample, you have a cold, you kind of make this herb soup and how to make it, what's in there. So I was really more interested in that recently years that I was, I pretty much talked to mom probably two times or three times a week, just just to tap into her uh, memory to try to figure it out. 
what is it that we do and how we do it and 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 just learn from her and you know then I can probably hopefully eventually I'll be more interested in probably probably taking classes about that right because you know there's always things that outside that we can learn from and that's what I've been doing recently not as much as a kill but you know that's, that's more like inner self. That stuff's really cool because you know I I uh, I grew up with that kind of stuff too. In LA, there's a small kind of mini chain of places called Taxing Hong. They're like herbology mm-hmm. shops, and in every Taxing Hong or every kind of herb, Chinese herbal shop that is that is out there, there's a small room in every one that has a doc, quote unquote, doctor. And so the doctor yes. takes your pulse, he asks you what's wrong, and then he writes a prescription. And then you take the prescription to the herbologist, and they will give you the herbs, and you get this. You have you have the ceramic medicine pot, Agatha, the little the one with the handle and yeah. the spout that way you put it in there and it tastes like oh it tastes like gar i used to tell my mom every time I'm like i'm not drinking that stuff unless you put like eighty thousand yeah. teaspoons of sugar in it but yeah. then like you know once i got older i realized like okay it's not bad at all like because because this was our health care this was our insurance we had there was no obamacare yet so when i was sick we didn't go to the doctor yeah. until, until we got because we were you know we were low income so we got medical once we did the paperwork but before that we would go to taxing hong see the herbologist drink that for seven days and even if you didn't get better, it was as good as it got. So you would just have to tough it out. So, but it's one of those things where I, I think about that all the time in terms of yeah. where is that pipeline to refill those doc, those herbologists at Taxing Hong when they move on or they retire? Because there are schools, there are Chinese medicine schools, you know, these called Oriental Medicine. I actually got a summer job at, a, at one of those colleges down in LA Emperor's College when I was younger. Me too. Or, yeah. At Emperor's College. Yeah, they used to be on. Uh, no, it's called, it's called Santa Barbara Chinese Oriental. Oh yeah, College. so they have they have one here too. Yeah, so so there's definitely they have classes. One, yes. Yeah, there's definitely classes where you can get that higher ed level. But in terms these these folks at the Toxin Hongs, I don't think they went to these Chinese medicine schools. I think they were either either learned it in the old country or or had someone to teach them here because there's there's kind of two jobs I think about that a lot in terms of those herbologists at Toxin Hong. And there's other folks that come and bless houses. Like when I bought my house, like when my mom bought her house, we had to have a guy come and bless it. You know, he, he did this, he did this elaborate ceremony, hung, hung papers on the wall, you know, set everything up. Had, and it was like, they're like fortune tellers, you know, my, they weren't in the phone book. My mom just kind of found them and they, and they came in and helped us out. And those are both kind of lost yeah. arts. I see that aren't kind of, you know, aren't, are, I'm wondering where that, that next generation is going to come from, but I, I don't know. So it's, it's not, I'm glad you brought that up because, it stirred a lot of, of, of nice nostalgia in my in my own mind. So, oh yeah, feng shui is such a big deal for my mom. You know, just like mm-hmm. knowing, learning all those things from her. And like you said, you know, you're going to those back room there, and all they ask you to do is show me your tongue, and then they take your pose, mm-hmm. and then they get to know what you need to take. And I'm just like, and now I kind of once once I've gone to a couple of them, then it kind of memories start coming back. It's like ah, that's what a Paul usually ask me to do when I say I don't feel good she says show me your tongue and it's just it's it's so interesting as it's all by just what they were taught as they're growing up so this is very much like self-taught person yeah and it's it's the difference between prescriptive medicine which is what western medicine is about you you you, you have a problem first and then you get medicine for it this is more uh, proactive medicine where you may not have something yeah. wrong, but if you go there every week and drink that medicine, it tastes like garbage, but you'll probably feel like a million bucks after if you do it all the time, you know? So you, you sound so. just like my kids. You sound just like my kids. It's not, it's not, <laughs> it's not meant. Mom, you want to kill me? <laughs> Cause a lot of that stuff is not meant to cure specific ailments. Like if I have like a specific like kidney stones or something, that medicine is not going to help. But if I just 
you know, it's just good. It's just a lot of herbs and different things that are good for you. So if you just taken that on a regular basis, I can see where it'd be very good for you. I just thought about something really quickly. Uh, I don't want to pivot the conversation in a different direction, but speaking of sick and I was thinking about another, something else that Agatha would make and bring into the office every winter. Uh, it was, what was it, Agatha? You know, when you're not feeling good, you would make the Coke, the Coca-Cola and ginger, no, right? it's because you cannot stop coughing. I can't. Yeah. Okay. Akil cannot stop coughing after his cold. And I said, it's time to make my appalls, uh, uh, Western type or Asian cross a remedy. And it's basically is Coca-Cola and a ton of slices of ginger. And you boil it and you simmer it for an hour and you drink it. I don't care how spicy it is. You're going to drink it. It's so good, y'all. I'm going to start coughing right now. That's how good it is. And, but yeah, his office is very, very close to mine, so you can hear a kill cough. You know, so. <laughs> this is pre-COVID. Just, just a disclaimer. Yes, this is pre-COVID. Yes, pre-COVID. Oh. This is well. This is years before COVID, actually. This because yeah, that's ten years a, ago. Yes, Agatha already alluded to it. She's been in financial aid for the last like <laughs> six, seven years. This was when she worked in yeah. Mission Records. I don't want anyone out here thinking that I'm being <laughs> contagious in the office. That's pre-COVID, y'all. I, I yes. I distinctly remember when I was really sick with fever or flu, my mom would bathe me in ginger and like green onions and stuff. Like I was like, are you trying to eat me? Or are you trying to make me feel better? But, but you know what? It would work. Cause like I, afterwards I'd, I'd come out feeling like, Oh man, that did help. Cause you get all the sweat out and you get the aromatics and that's really what clears up your, yeah. So that's where the cold and the hot comes in. Yeah. Uh-huh. He, Lani, yes. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for that, Agatha. Yeah. Okay, I'll 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 go. I'll I'll bring up I'll bring up the caboose, so to speak, and I'll I'll just uh real quick. My pick for this week is um comics. Uh, the first comics I read growing up before I got into Marvel, before I got into DC, were kung fu comics. They they you know in Japan they call them manga. I guess I didn't know there was a name for them for Chinese versions of these comics, but they call them manhua, manhua or something. I don't know. I never yeah. call them that. I just call them comics. So they get manhua, but there is. A couple big names in Chinese comics. Um, Tony Wong, I knew him as Tony Wong, but his name, he has a Chinese name, Wong Luxing or something like that. But his name is Tony Wong because he brought them, he translated them to English because I can't read Chinese. So he translated them to English in 1989 and started releasing these Chinese comics. And that's when I first picked them up. And one of the comics that he decided to translate was a, a story called The Blood Sword, originally by this guy named Ma Wing Xing. And uh, The Blood Sword is, is like, like the probably my number one yeah in terms of in terms of if you want to get into chinese kung fu comics at all that's the one there's, there's another one called uh, dragon tiger gate they made a movie out of it with uh, donnie yen uh maybe 10 15 years ago that's one of tony wong's comics tony wong is a big kind of he's like the stan lee of uh, of hong kong comics but ma wing shing and the blood sword is is the one that really kind of guided me a lot because they're you know if you watch a lot of kung fu movies you know what these stories are like they're going to be you know Something something traumatic happens, of course, because all of our stories are rooted in trauma. And then the 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 person learns how to become a hero, and and in the process exacts revenge for what happens. And the blood sword is this tale of a, of a his name is Hero in the American translation. I don't know what his real name is in Chinese, but Hero's parents, you know, get killed by this you know ruthless warlord. He 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 finds his family heirloom, the blood sword, and the minute it makes contact with blood, it turns into this super like 
unbelievable sword. And so people are always coming after him trying to get the sword. And he goes on all these adventures and he, he learns under various, um, you know, sifus and he becomes a disciple of various martial arts. And he ends up by the end of it becoming one of the greatest martial arts that ever lived. And they, and they kind of split it between internal Kung Fu, which he's a master of, which deals with inner chi and then the external Kung Fu, which are all the folks who are like can kick a thousand miles an hour and things of that sort. So it's, it's a, it's a really great, like overarching world like you talk about the marvel cinematic universe the blood sword cinematic universe is full of all like characters with crazy powers and magical you know this and that but the art is really good the story it really is really good and it really spoke to me and and now yeah, the inking and the line work in terms of the the action scenes i mean i i put those i put a lot of those action scenes on, on up with any kung fu movie i grew up watching so yeah, I'll pull up. There's not much in terms of getting your hands on these comics today because they're they're very out of print. There was a reissue that was done a few years ago that I picked up all of them, but I don't know if those are even around anymore. But I can at least link to the Wikipedia page, and then folks, you know, you can find lots on eBay and stuff. But yeah, uh, Ma Wing Shing and the Blood Sword, and then to a lesser extent Tony Wong, and it, it was translated here as Oriental Heroes, but it's Dragon Tiger Gate. He did one called Drunken Fist, uh, Drunken Master, and he one did one called The Force of Buddha's Palm, and they're all pretty good. But Blood Sword is like the the one I would have to pick. I grew up watching, nice. reading Lo Fuji. I don't know if you are. <laughs> it's it's growing up and then going to Hong Kong. It just that's what like the go to comic book that yeah. we always watch. And that's read, that's so. that's the Tony. That's the Tony Wong. That's the that's the Oriental Heroes. Really, Tiger Wong oh, and Gold, Dra- Gold Dragon and and Tiger Wong's brother gets killed and they have to go to Thailand to avenge his death. Oh yeah, I, I mean we could. Yeah, the, that one got really crazy by the end of it. But the, the there's like there's two there's a, a, a transition like the early ones they look like these little squat little characters and then like he he kind of brought in that the realism in the late '80s and kind of made them more like. But yeah, it's all those those are all the stories right in that wheelhouse where they 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 fight somebody they get beat they need to get stronger so they find a new seafood to teach them new skills they take their their kung fu to like level it was level eight and they, they found level nine oh a secret book that that teaches level 10 and then that you know the story just keeps going but it's those stories of, of loyalty respect honor tradition upholding those core values and, you know fighting against the new the new values coming in where everyone's taking shortcuts everyone's you know involved in organized crime is that instead of using their martial arts for good you know so it's just those classic themes and, and it's, it's so it's very basic stuff on that level but like as a young kid it really resonated with me and just and just seeing that kind of representation for martial arts and stuff was 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 real nice nice yeah when i was living in hong kong i got the i got privileged and lucky that i met a sifu who has taught me some kung fu moves on his one of the times that i spent usually you go to the rooftop to garden right so mm-hmm. where i was where I was living, there's a rooftop. This will usually practice his kung fu, and it is so cool that you get to work with someone, or not alone, know someone who does that and give you those insights of those things. I, I used to love going up to the rooftop for that. So you know, but it, you just brought up some a lot of good memories because I, I've always look at those uh, comic books in Chinese. You see, because I read Chinese, so it's just that having now with English version. Not used to it, huh? It's not the same. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's definitely not because what they what he what he did was they were like he he made each issue sixty pages. So he took those little 10, 15 page books that were that were, you know, right to left, convert them to left to right and crammed like four or five issues in every issue. So he he basically worked the people that were here doing the translations to death because they were trying to cram all these issues, you know, into one issue and then putting one out every month. So it's like they were doing five or six issues worth of work in every, every issue. So they burned out. It didn't last very long. They didn't sell very many because there wasn't a huge market for them, but 
and the folks that got them, they, if you know, you know, you know, that kind of thing. And they left an indelible right. mark on me for sure. And I'll, 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 yeah. I'll, I'll bring some, I'll, 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 just so you can see, but yeah. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I still have them. Yeah. I still have them. Yeah. Uh, oh, you better keep them. That's They're not worth anything, but I still have them. Yeah, yeah. You sure. never know, huh? Yeah. But I, but you know what you said of, of bringing back up a lot of memories. Like I, I'm really grateful that you came on the show today, Agatha. It's really, really an honor to talk to you because absolutely, it was it was just one of those things where you know it, it is AAPI Plus Heritage Month, and it, it beyond that, it's just nice to talk to folks on campus. You know, we, we where we can kind of have those experiences where like, oh man, just like when I was a kid. Oh yeah, just like this. And it's and that's what that's what this podcast is all about. That's what the show is all about. It's just how the commonalities and how universal a lot of our experiences are. You know, it, it, every every each one of us is unique. We're all individuals, but there's so much common ground that we that we have with each other if we just take the time to just break it down in like a 20, 30 minute conversation about your interests, what you like to eat, what you like to cook, you know, like well, what brought you here? Like th- th- those are just simple questions and then and the, the richness and the fruit that we bore today. I mean, the, thank you very much. Yeah, I have to. Oh, echo. You're so welcome. Thank you. I definitely have to uh, echo what Han said. You know, it's such an honor and privilege to interview you um, as well as to be your, you know, work with you um, over the years. So um, it was definitely a rich show. A lot of I loved just sitting back, listening to the plays off of you and Hong and similar experiences. It just it was it was really delightful for, for me to listen and be a part of the show. You know, Hong, remember I told you Akil is my brother from another mother. <laughs> I'm I told always him. consider him as my brother. I always <laughs> consider his daughter as my niece. It's yeah, it's and she still are. she still calls you Auntie Agatha too. She's like, have you talked to Auntie Agatha? She was asking about you a couple about about a few weeks back, and uh, so I mean, it's it's. Uh, this is great, man. It's just this is what the show is really supposed to be geared towards, and and I, I felt this in my, uh, I felt it in my in my stomach. You know, I felt it down low, <laughs> or maybe I felt it in my chi. Let's say that. I think yes. That's a little bit better. I felt it. Yes, in my you, chi. You, the, your chi locus. The, yeah, the core. Yeah, the core right right next to your heart, where it's all yeah. focused. That's yeah. where I felt it. So I get the any any. Thank uh, you, guys. Yeah, any parting words before we say goodbye? Anything you like to, to leave with or? No, you know, they always say, ultimately, understanding and care for each other. It's, it's just that simple. I mean, just break it down. It's very simple. It's not that difficult to understand. Uh, and just have the mutual respect for one another is basically what my takeaway is. And I love you all. Thank you so much for having me. Amen. Thank you for being here. Thanks. Take care, y'all. Until Thank next you. time. Until next time. Okay. Thank you. Bye.